Hello, and welcome to Tell the Damn Story. I'm Christopher Ryan, an award-winning hybrid author, teacher, multi-platform creative, and former award-winning journalist. Also on the mic is Kids Comic Con and the Color of Comics exhibition founder, Alex Simmons, an award winner since 1996, including an Inkpot Award from the San Diego Comic Con and three, count them three, count them three Glyph Awards from the East Coast Black Age of Comics Con. He has written Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, Batman, Superman, and Scooby-Doo, Archie, among so many more, and is the creator of the legendary African-American soldier of fortune, Aaron Blackjack Day, whose 1930s adventures comment on today's social problems. On Tell the Damn Story, we celebrate the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully along the way, help you decide how you want to tell your damn story. Why listen to us? We've spent years in the trenches, paying dues, making mistakes we've learned from, and earning victories the hard way. And we're still here, still creating, and offering advice on how you can keep creating as well. And ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to have a special guest. But first, (laughs) we'll keep you in suspense. A moment from our uh, um, uh, our non-sponsors, ladies and gentlemen, as we try to lure in the lucre. All right, (laughs) so this week's non-sponsors are the Mystery Writers of America, who have put out two great books. First, we have... um, when a Stranger Comes to Town. It's a, a, a book of short stories and an anthology. That is the thread that uh, there's a character, there's a stranger who comes to town in each story. And we have in here S.A. Cosby, Amanda Witt, Alifair Burke, Smita Harris Jane, Michael Connolly, Jacqueline Fremore, Joe R. Lansdale, Amelia Namark, Lisa Unger, Brian Quartermouse, Celia Klibanoff Jacobs, Lori Roy, Paul A. Barra, Michael Coriata, who also edited it, uh, Elaine Tagniri, Jonathan Stone, Steve Hamilton, Tina Delabelgrade, and Joe Hill. And ladies and gentlemen, I only have like three, maybe four more stories, and it has been consistently entertaining all the way through. Wow. Not Jerry Mathers as a beaver, though, huh? Just come out. How to Write a Mystery, a Handbook for the Mystery Writers of America, edited by Lee Child. That is, uh, uh, for those of you who are, you know, really want to get good at writing mysteries, check that book out. That just came out. Fantastic. And a book that has been, you know, it's been out in, for a couple of minutes there, Alex. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it it's has. Out for a little while. It is Aristotle Poetics, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hot writer Aristotle Yes, yeah, I've, heard, I've heard some good things about him. Yes, <laughs> it's his, his take on how a story should be told. And um, everybody, everybody, everybody should read it, know it. Um, it's uh, come up again because I've been watching uh, Masterclass's uh, uh, series on uh, or, or with Aaron Sorkin. And he brought it up like 400 times, so I had to check it out. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the reveal. Today's podcast also brought by Tim Fielder's Infinitum, ladies and gentlemen. Yay, infin- yes, yes, yes infinitum. Infinitum. An episode without infinitum. 
The graphic novel yeah, like, par excellence, yes. Par excellence, Tim Field is one of the co-founders uh, of Tell the Damn Story, and his painted art is dynamic, uh, adventurous, and this is the story of deep African past and Afrofuturism. It's a wild adventure that uh, the likes of which you may never have seen exactly this way. So go and check it out. And while you're checking it out, check out Black Nerd Problems, the essays book from William Evans and Omar Holman, the co-founders of Black Nerd Problems. But wait, you're saying, I'm kind of Broadway. I want something more. Well, go and see Kasim Gaines's footnotes the black artist who rewrote the rules of the great white way it's a great story about a, uh, an all-black uh, broadway hit that was kind of erased you know kind of an they it, uh, broadway kind of did and history kind of didn't isaiah bradley on it but it's back uh in, in this great book by kasim Gaines and check it out and if you know if you're saying to us but wait but wait it's not enough but book. wait not enough books. It's not enough books because you got your spring and summer reading. We got ah. Black Panther: Tales of Wakanda, a groundbreaking anthology from the African diaspora, uh, including the one and only, the legendary, the iconic <laughs> Alex Simmons, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Simmons. So and Nikki Giovanni have- and Jesse Hollins and a bunch of other really phenomenal writers. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the message. They're all in there. They're all in there. Yeah. So that, should be, that should give you enough stuff to read. Till September. To kind of inspire your creativity. But today, well, we want to go. What about today? Yes. We want to go to new ground in this 189-episode-old uh, uh Adventure podcast. So, yes. what we had to do was to talk to a creative who has a unique and interesting path uh, to her creativity. Someone who has been behind the scenes, on the scenes, making and a scene. is creating her own scenes. There you go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We've heard her before. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Maureen Britt. How are you, Maureen? Hi, good morning, fellas. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Um, You know, it's fantastic to have you here. And um, Maureen, you've been a presence in and around Tell the Damn Story and other creative stuff, uh, especially uh, the Alex Simmons tornado of creativity so we thought uh, it might be helpful for the audience to hear from someone who has weathered those wonderful storms (laughs) but but starting with your own journey too um, Maureen tell us a little bit about you uh, the the secret origin of Maureen Britt where'd you come from where were you born when did you first start liking story talk to us okay, sure i grew up in yorktown heights new york and i come from a big family i'm one of eight kids i'm number three and uh, when we were kids there was a school in yorktown that had like a day camp in the summer and they put on plays and i was about seven years old and they were doing the ugly duckling 
Now, according to my sister, she originally had the part of the ugly duckling, but then was asked to move up to the mother role. I contend it was my brilliant audition of breaking out of the shell that won me the part. Of course, uh, it, it's <laughs> so, the drama that part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about seven years old, and we had little beaks on top of our heads, and we did this performance, and that was when I got the bug. Um, it was just so much fun pretending. And basically, when we were kids, that's what we did for fun. My parents had, like, a couple of record albums, and one of which was the story of Peter Pan. Sure. So almost every Saturday, we'd go out in the yard and, and act out Peter Pan. You know, who gets to be Wendy? Who gets to be John and Michael? And, and that was our play. We would always be playing Make Pretend. It's, it's amazing that um, storytellers and creatives, uh, even if they're unaware of it, the, the roots start very early. Yes. You know? so, so how did your uh, affinity for shorty, uh, short uh, stories uh, grow as you, as you grew? <laughs> <laughs> I think I come from a storytelling family. I think that's almost guaranteed when you're Irish. My father was always telling stories about his life over in Ireland and, and uh, even in the war and stuff like that. So it was our form of entertainment. We would tell stories, usually humorous stories. Very right. funny. Yeah. yeah. Your, your I, father your father was in what war? I'm just curious. He was in the Korean War. He was, ah. in, he was in the Marines and he was in China. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother story. Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll go. So um, you get to high school. Were you in high school plays and that kind of stuff? Or? Uh, I unfortunately at that time I, I did. I wasn't in high school plays. I was in the Music Man. Played one of the pick a little talking ladies and over the big hat. They told us we should look like chickens, you know, pecking and talking. I see this is a foul theme here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> ugly duckling chickens. It's my niche. Um, but what happened was my family at that time, we had two jo- My father was a butcher for the AMP, and we uh, raised taxes in Yorktown, and we needed to get another job. So what they would do was he would come home from work, we'd have dinner, and about half the family would go with him to clean the schools that we went to. Oh. Oh. And most of the time I was in the babysitter role with a couple of little kids, but there was times when everybody went. I mean, when you're, you know, six years old, you can empty your waist back at the basket. Sure. So the value of work early, we really did, and, and taking pride in your work and, and the, the sometimes challenges of working with your family. Mm. You know? <laughs> and arguing. So that was a good experience, but we got paid. I mean, that was the big thing. We got like, you know, whatever our $5 was in Sunday. And here's a tie-in. Sunday after church, we'd get our allowance and we'd go to a Rexall drugstore in Yorktown where they had a big comic book rack. <laughs> and we would get our candy and comic books. My father would get the newspaper and we would all come home after dinner and sit around reading our comics in the newspaper. Wow. Yep. Reading I, I got to ask, what comics were you buying at that time? Oh, there was a lot of Superman. Probably Donald Duck, you know. Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with the bird, right? <laughs> I think I think as a girl, I gravitated more towards the Archies, the Betty and Veronica story and Archie and all that. Um, yeah, and I like to read the Sunday comics, too. Ah, that's a lost art now. Yeah. Sadly. Uh, who would you, you follow in the in the comic strips? 
Um, well, when I was older, I really liked Doonesbury. I, 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 I can't think of some of the names because I just followed all of them. Uh, Alex and I were talking the other day about Prince Valiant. I, the storyline wasn't so big, but their illustrations were fantastic. How you know, Foster, the, yeah. The illustrations are always what pulled me into a lot of them. I remember Brenda Starr because she was a redhead, and my mom was a redhead, so, so I always liked that. Yeah, it was usually in the in like the Daily News or the Post, but I, I was a Daily News guy. It was two pages, so you would just read all of exactly the characters, Hagar the Horrible, all that yes. stuff. Fluffy, yes. get uh, uh, um, Dick Tracy, Brenda Starr, and yeah. you know. See, Brenda I remember also uh, on stage. Yeah, I remember on stage, which was uh, illustrated by Leonard Starr, and it was one of the more realistic illustrated comic strips. In the series, and it's, it's funny how I, I hear very little about it now, but in the 60s, 70s, a lot of cartoonists and, and comic book artists would talk about Leonard Starr's work. So it's almost like right. it's a lost, a lost so, art. I, I might have to do a little bit of research on him to uh, well, his, bring that uh, forward the next time. His time must have been before then, which brings us to the Alex Simmons <laughs> time machine. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about Brenda Starr before, and I was always, I was very young when, you know, going through all that. And I was always amazed that her eyes always twinkled, you know? Yeah. And I couldn't quite understand what was happening there. Was it a superpower? What was going on? I didn't know. <laughs> Brenda Starr, a cosmic girl, yes. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, we get you through high school. What would we, what happened after high school? We moved to Valhalla because my grandparents passed oh. away, and we moved into their house. No, not the one with the Vikings. With, oh, not like Thor and the Vikings? No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just thought that was a big move after high school, you know? Yeah, yeah, up, but it didn't work out. <laughs> the neighborhood was rough. Right? Yeah, yeah. Low bridge is ladies' Oh, Valhalla. Yes, continuing school, working. What were you doing? I did. I went to Westchester Community College because it was very inexpensive, and we could get to it. And uh, I studied the humanities. I studied arts, and particularly with a heavy emphasis on theater. I was yeah. I was still into performing and being on stage, and and, and just loved it. And uh, was in every show they did there. As a matter of fact, I would draft my younger brothers and sisters to be in it as well. Because my mother, whenever, you know, when you have one of eight kids, no matter where you go, they're like, oh, take a couple more kids with you. <laughs> so I put them in the play. When I was in Annie Get Your Gun, I got to be Annie, which was my big starring role. My, my sister played my sister in the show, and my brother ran the spotlight. Now, when you're running the spotlight, you're supposed to put him in a pink, you know, warm, romantic light, depending on how... How his mood was towards me, I could be green, I could be purple, I could be purple. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Okay. And a director who liked us go into the audience a lot. His big thing was going right into the audience when you're performing. Right, right. And I'm you can't get a man with a gun holding this big rifle, and I'm walking into the audience, and of course I'm blinded by the spotlight. I can't see a thing. But then I would turn and I'd hit somebody in the head with the rifle and I'd go, ow, ow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. But so, these sitcom these sitcom moments are real. They 
<laughs> whatever you saw in I Love Lucy, another time to, uh, travel thing. <laughs> whatever you saw in I, it really happens in real life. People do get knocked out in the theaters. <laughs> it was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. There was things like we had Annie doing this number where she's firing off of a horse, which of course was just a sawhorse built of wood. And at one point, I guess I was going a little too exuberantly. I fell backwards off the horse. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was always, it was always that kind of thing. And I remember um, coaching my little sister, who was maybe 10 or 12 at the time. Oh, this is serious art. You must learn your lines. You must know what you're doing. You know, you have to memorize this, Eileen. Memorize it. And, of course, <laughs> one day, because it was so madcap, I come out on stage and I had that nightmare where you go totally blank. Just blank, and it with my younger sister, and I'm like, I, I, and she sees this look on my face, and God bless her, she knew how to recover. She's like, "Hey, Annie, how about we go see Buffalo Bill?" You know, <laughs> she like ad libbed on the spot, which brought me back to where I was supposed to be. Wow. And she was like, "You're the one who gave me the speech about knowing your mom." <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, working with family, yeah. So did you continue in theater post, uh, post-collegiate post no. study? Or? Absolutely. I was in every show I could be in. And I was working to bring money in as a Kelly girl. So you'd go and get hired as a temporary worker and you'd go into some office and, you know, they'd have you answer the phone or type something up for a while. And going to auditions down in New York City and things like that. I did a lot of work with uh, an evening dinner theater in Westchester, which is was later renamed the Westchester Broadway Theater, which, unfortunately, uh, after COVID, they just closed permanently um, oh. uh, just a few days ago. And they had a wonderful system where they would bring in actors and actresses, and they would pay you, you know, at like a minimum rate, but then at the end, you'd get your equity card. That was right. like the very last week, you know, so it was like a whole equity machine there. And I worked backstage there. I got to work with some famous folks like uh, Betsy Palmer from I've Got a Secret, who was also in... Um, she played Jason's mother in the Halloween movies. And I used to be helping her backstage when we were doing another show called Same Time Next Year. And she's like, oh, I'm in this new movie, and it's a horror movie, but you only get to see my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Who else did you work with? Um, you know, since you, you, you mentioned celebrities for a moment, between, let's say, college time and after college, uh, whenever, you know, like summer jobs or whatever, who else uh, of some note uh, were you exposed to that you get to work with? Um, I got I, I got into Williamstown Theater Festival, which is up in Massachusetts. And the first, I drove up there four hours, and I walk in, and there's like bulletin boards with the shows they're going to do. And one was about ten Greek plays that they had sort of mashed together to do a two-evening show. And there was this very tall, handsome, preppy guy uh, standing next to me looking at the board and I'm like, how are they going to do 10 week plays in like four hours? That doesn't, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on. And he goes, yeah. And I look up and it's Christopher Reed. <laughs> so he so you was, were standing there talking to Superman. <laughs> yeah, he was in the show and he was the best guy. He was, he was a heart of gold on and off the stage because when we got to do the Greeks, um, I guess some, some director or costume designer thought it would be a good idea to have the young kids or at least the young ladies uh, nude on the top uh, for the scene, you know, where they bring in all these kids. And he was the one who stood up and said, no, you're taking advantage of them because they're new. They're not in the business now. 
And um, I object. So if you're going to require them to be nude, you know, you can count me out. And, wow. and basically they, they backed down. They changed their tune. The girls got to have like a girlsy top, which wasn't much, but still they recovered. And I really admired him for that. And he, he, he took a whole afternoon for all the interns to sit down and ask him any question they wanted to about his career, about the acting. He was, he was just fantastic. And Maureen, wow. where was he, do you know, at that point in his career? Was this post-Superman or was this... It was post-Superman, yes. Wow, so he was really, um, I would A just human say, he was famous but still retained that humanity. That was really cool. Absolutely. And the great thing about Williamstown was the plays that they did. I used to call it Summer Camp for the Stars because these actors who were famous would come because they'd get to do the Greeks, the Greeks, the Shaw, you know, all the classic works that weren't really commercial, but they, but of course are classics. So they would all stream up to Williamstown for the summer. I got to, uh, there's a funny story. Richard Chamberlain was up there and they would have days where like the interns would have a day of class, you know, where you'd go to class and study your acting or a day of working. And uh, I stopped by the office one time and they said, Maureen, run over to this area where Richard Chamberlain is rehearsing and get his car keys because there's something wrong with the brakes and we want you to drive it into the next town and, you know, get it. <laughs> there's something wrong with the brakes and they want the intern to drive the car. Yeah. So I have to explain to Richard Chamberlain that I was like 18 years old and I was going to take his car keys and drive up over the mountains of Vermont to take it to a gas station so they could fix the brakes. <laughs> So, so, so interns were expendable in those days. Apparently, huh? <laughs> I mean, it didn't really hit me until years later. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Those <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Better two interns than Richard. Yeah. <laughs> and and so, other so favorite. Clearly, you say you you survived the Richard Chamberlain breakless car escapade. Yes. Uh, anyone else you get to work with? Uh, I got to work with Frank Langella. I was so thrilled. They were doing a Sherlock Holmes play, The 7% Solution. Ooh. And after his regular rehearsal, he just wanted somebody to read the other lines while he walked around the set to get his staging down. So I was thrilled because I had a major crush on Frank Langella. And I went over there. And, of course, I started out very, you know, demure. And I'm playing the maid. And then I'm playing the inspector. And then I was like, wait a minute. I have to give him different voices so he knows who I'm doing. So I was doing a voice for every different character that was talking to him. And at first he stops and, like, one eyebrow goes up. And then he just sort of nods and keeps going. Because I had a different voice for the inspector, for the maid, for the, you know, murderer, for everybody. (laughs) Did he, did he have anything to say to you for doing all that for him? Um, I think he said thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll take thank you. Yeah, yeah. From yeah. Frank, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, you, you've got a, you know, you got a great lesson there. You know, um, you know, the old saying is, you know, was it 90% or 75% is showing up and being Absolutely. there allows you to have those kind of experiences, whatever you're doing, you know? Right. Um, so I've the Avengers... Story. I've got one, got more, one story. more story. We're listening. So the big, the big prize was if you were an intern, you would get cast in the main stage production. Sure. So uh, there was a Russian... I can't even think of the playwright's name, but they were doing a Russian play about, you know, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and 
I got cast. I was so thrilled. I got cast. Get a load of this. This was my character's name. The woman with tied up face. (laughs) (laughs) And it apparently was the governess. So the theme of the play basically was all these rich people talking about, you know, esoteric things. And like the workers would run in and say, we have no food. Or, you know, the, 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 <laughs> and they would like ignore it. Like, oh, you know, what is life and all this stuff. And I would run in looking for the child. Where is Xenia? That was my thing. I was the nanny. Where is the boy? And in rehearsal, and it was directed by the brilliant Austin Pendleton. And in rehearsal, I was like, there's something wrong. Because every time I came in, everybody stopped and looked at me like I came from another planet. I was like, what's wrong? So I, I pulled Austin aside for a moment. I, I asked him about it. He said, no, you're doing it perfectly. That's the point of the show, that they are disregarding all the things dealing with reality. Like, you know, the important things like the food, where's the kid? You know, are we safe? And they were in another world, you know, in, in these unimportant things. He goes, so it should be when you come on stage, like you're dropping a rock into a pond. And that was, that's the reaction you're getting. And he said, if you can imagine being in a steel corset, that's the kind of woman you are, because the Russians allowed these nannies to raise their children, basically, very strictly, very disciplined, and that's who you are. So I love that part. That was fun. Wow. Wow. Yes. Now, who was in that cast besides you and a bunch of mad Russian people? It was uh, Blythe Danner. It was Dwight from the A-Team. He was the one who played the kooky guy. I can't think of his last name at the moment. Um, Richard Dreyfuss, I think, was in it. There was a whole cast of you know, very famous people. Wow. And, yeah. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, I, you know, Dwight Danner, I know, you know, but uh, Rich, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfus, yeah, I, I got to take a moment for Rich. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I love okay. that. He was like, oh yeah, Blythe Danner, Dwight from the A Team, Richard Dreyfus. Working <laughs> <laughs> with Frank Langella, Christopher Reeves. Yeah. Well, any my- one of those characters. If I had worked with any of those characters any of those actors, it would be tattooed on my forehead. Well, now it's a five head, but still, it would... I've got to confess something here. My friends, who know me a long time, have now forbidden me to say the word Williamstown. <laughs> because if I say that, they're like, oh, who did you work with in Williamstown? Or, oh, so-and-so, was that somebody who worked with in Williamstown? They were so sick of me bragging on it that I'm not allowed to say a thing anymore. Well. Well, in Tell the Damn Story, we're allowed to drop names because what we're trying to say is that, you know, we're creative throughout our lives and just going, you know, it, it, I always say to, to young creatives, you know, uh, uh, serve the story, uh, whatever it is, whether you're on the stage, whether you're writing it, whether you're, um, you know, bringing it to life uh, artistically with the drawing or whatever, or painting or film, Serve the story, serve the story, serve the story. So in, in what we're seeing, you know, the secret life of Maureen Britt is that, <laughs> you know, you have, you have a long history of serving the story. And I love, I really love that Richard Chamberlain, Christopher Reeves, Frank Langella, Austin Pendleton, Blythe Dana, Dwight from the A-Team, and Richard Dreyfus are bit players in this <laughs> In this, you know, <laughs> docudrama that's being created this period, it's fantastic, you know. <laughs> you know, we, I want to, I want to just bring out one other thing too. Uh, a great lesson here that uh, I hope our our listeners take to heart. 
is is do your craft, learn, grow, take chances, make mistakes, recover, no matter who you're working with. Mm-hmm. You keep growing. You keep testing and pushing the limit because that's the only way you build, if not a grand career, grand memories. Mm-hmm. You know, living your life fully, maybe not to the fullest, maybe you don't get that full opportunity, but living your life as richly and as fully as you can is is part of our mandate. You know, it's what we're yeah. supposed to be doing. So again, in this case, you know, you have moved from sort of you know, stage managing a crew of siblings <laughs> to, to interacting in and stage work with a crew of of peers and and a few uh, lofty individuals. But you you've maintained your growth throughout, and that's 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 a that's a major note uh, to take now, take uh, to be aware of. Now I want to leap eventually to. You know the the magic three words or three letters KCC, but I want to give Maureen a, a chance uh, between you know uh, making Blythe and Dwight and Richard stop what they were doing and look at your governor's uh, portrayal. Um, or were there any other people or any other anecdotes about your theater adventures that you'd like to uh, uh, pop in there before we move forward? I recently came across an old photo album when I must have been in my 20s, and there was a place in Westchester that was well-known for theater called Mayapec Farm Playhouse. Ah, this yes. man named Bernie Zipkin had this farm with literally like a big barn that he put a stage in, and we would go and do shows there. And I was doing a show called The Boyfriend, and I was playing the old woman. For some reason, I did a lot of character acting, and I was always like the old woman, the maid, the this, that. And it was just amazing. It was like, when I was in my 20s, I don't think I played a part under 60 for years. (laughs) But I always like to be, um, especially ones that were comedic parts. I loved comedy. I loved making people laugh. Uh, because that was that was basically what I grew up with. My family has impeccable comic timing. And, you know, with eight kids, you're always struggling to get attention. So you have to be damn funny. So that's one of the things I learned. And the other, the other key thing I want to share with our listeners is I never really wanted to be the best person in the play, like the best actress. You want to work with people that are better than you because they pull you up to their level. If you're on stage and someone is really riveting, you have to up your game even more. Um, one more little anecdote. There was a play I did recently in Armand. Well, actually, wasn't recently. It was a murder mystery. And I played this character that was drunk all the time. And there was one scene where I'm supposed to sit in an armchair to the side of the stage with no lines for like a good 20 minutes, which is a challenge, right? I mean, I know the focus was supposed to be on everybody else. But the night before opening, I come in, and on that armchair, the set decorator had put one of these, like, tiger throws, you know, complete with the paws and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to have fun with this? So I'm supposed to be drunk, and I start picking up the paws. I'm going, I'm playing all this stuff. (laughs) Later on, some of my actors are like, what the hell are you doing over on the side of the stage? Because I watched the whole audience shift their focus over here. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I guess you're going to have to up your game then to keep their attention. But I had to to tone it down a little bit. But it's a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun playing with that tiger. (laughs) 
it's it's a it's an interesting challenge when you're um, uh, a smaller role like that, um, and there's some improv ability not to upstage. You know, right. um, I was a last minute addition over here in the Bergen County Players years ago mm-hmm. um, to the psych ward for uh, one flew over the cougar's nest. I was one of you know, I think I was, eventually they said I was Cheswick. You know, I only had a couple of lines. But I was sitting there, and uh, I would I would throw a line out once in a while, and I and I was just talking to the space next to me, you know, <laughs> and um, the director who was not known for uh, being very uh, welcoming of improv, <laughs> she said, "Keep that line in there," and I think I think it wound up being like two or three others, and then of course. You know, you got to be careful because it, it starts feeling good to you, and suddenly there's 40 lines, and then we got to pull it all back. And it was an asylum full of insane people, so each person was adding. And then we did, did that for one night, and they said, "Okay, back to the script, except for this line, this line, and you know, Jimmy, you said this or whatever." Right. Um, but it was yeah. You have to. It's a it's a balance, you know. Yes. Yeah, so well, in an independent gonna... film, we would do that as well. We'd have. It, you know, one take for improv and a couple of things. Right. Pull something out that's, a, you know, that's a good. But yeah, you got to be careful with that. Interesting. Yeah, I was just going to jump in there uh, for a second with, uh, you know, because we were all sharing our theater experiences. Um, I did a play uh, also where um, it's more of an ensemble piece. So there's like three or four people on stage at the same time. And the stage is set up in such a way that you're seeing supposedly three different scenes happening simultaneously in three different locations. So the focus would shift to location one or location two. And the other two Kate, the other two locations were you're still supposed to be in your moment, but you're not the focus at that time. And uh, I know that as, as an actor, one of the things you have to do to remain in character is to have a very rich life for that character to know what's going on at that time in that character's life and have things going on in your head that suit the character and the nature of the, the play and the location that you're in so that when you don't have given lines and you are still going to be seen, though not the focus, you have activities that seem to somehow be natural and yet not dominating or overpowering, overwhelming or distracting. And you know, a lot, a lot of the play was really about us as this ensemble cast being able to do that smoothly, so that you know, again, with the lighting and whatever, the the focus could be shifted, but you never really lost the effect that the world was still real, that it was still going on. So you know, it's it's a it's training to have a rich life. And Chris and I have talked about this in terms of writing. Knowing your characters, knowing as much about your character's history and background, even if you don't reveal all of it in the story, but having that information definitely impacts on your performance. Yeah. Absolutely. You have to do the homework. You have to, I used to have a notebook, and you'd write down things about your character that may not be in the script, but, you know, that was in keeping with your character. Where were they before they came on stage? Where are they going afterwards? What's their family life? You know, what was their youth? All of that stuff. 
you have to uh, study, and that it brings richness to your portrayal of the character. Exactly. As opposed to playing a stereotype. Yeah, exactly. What, what, what was yeah, your next question, a, Chris? Because I interrupted you. Uh, no, you did fine. Um, it, it all ties back to that idea of serving the story, whether you're improving and then finding the best bits or taking a chance on writing a scene and then editing it back. It's all that same process, right? Um, oh, uh, by the way, his back. name is Dwight Schultz. Thank you. That was it. Thank you very much. I, I have a, um, I have a uh, Maureen Britt name-dropping list going on here so that I can have <laughs> all those for the write-up. So excuse the silence for a second. Um, and I'm going to drop a name, and I hope I hope this is not crossing a line for him. But, um, you know, Aaron, uh, uh, Alex and I have spoken about um, Masterclass and, and watching those different things. And I'm watching uh, Aaron Salkin, and he was doing a workshop, you know, and kids reading or having an opening scene read. She's a you know, young pro- professional. And... Um, there's a car driving and then it pulls over to the cornfield and he stops and he says, where did the cornfields come from? You know, it's just, well, that's what they were driving past the whole time. And it was a great opportunity because again, serve the story. He says, you know, I do that all the time where I'm writing and I see the entire thing, mm-hmm. but two or three words, you know, they're driving through cornfields on either side and it's done. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's that I believe in rewrite. I believe in serving the story. And, you know, even if it's not the greatest, the first draft, the second draft, third draft, or in rehearsal, you know, you go big, you pull back, or you try something and you pull back. And it, it seems like that you have uh, an interesting and a, a long-ranging career of performance doing that kind of stuff. I love how, you know, we were talking about high school and college a minute ago, and you are like, yeah, just recently... I didn't know. So you have been doing theater throughout. That's fantastic. Yes. Yes, I have. So here's the, here's the leap of faith. <laughs> and if I miss something in between, please tell me. So how do we go from the rel- relatively safe environment of, you know, local theater and, and you know, you know, allowing Richard Dreyfuss on stage with you and stuff uh, to uh, to KCC and Alex Simmons. How did that happen? Okay. So I, I met Alex Simmons at that same Mayapec Farm Playhouse because he was in the play after me. Uh-huh. And he was playing Judas. And I had stayed on to like sew white robes or whatever for the show. I was also sewing. And all of a sudden, we hear this voice, and everybody who's sewing stops what they're doing, gets up and goes to look, who the hell is that on stage? And it was Alex Simmons. The legendary, iconic (laughs) Alex Simmons. And of course... Yeah, and it it was really like, oh my God, who the hell is that? And why hasn't he been working with us a million times before? So that's how I met Alex Simmons, and we had been in touch for years. Um, but now, I just before before we let that moment go, I want to thank you more because from now on, uh, throughout the Tell the Damn Stories uh, long and storied history, 
that is still to come, occasionally I'll be able to look at Alex Simmons and say, Judas! <laughs> I think his, his performance was so good because you never see this a lot. We saw how Judas was anguished about what he did. That's yes. what he to that role. He was torn by what he had done. And it wasn't like, ah, I'm going to betray you. I'm a bad guy. It was his broken heart that he betrayed his friend that came out in that performance that really is what I still remember to this day. Well, one of the great things about that, uh, that show and that character, Judas, is there's, there's so many different interpretations of, you know, there's the, you know, conniving, you know, uh, then there's the political, he believed, the, you know, then there's the, uh, you know, broken up, oh, did I do the right thing? And then there's an interesting uh, uh, take, I forget who wrote it, um, that he was asked by God, you know, uh, burdened by God to do this to fulfill the destiny of, of Jesus. Um, each one of those things, each one of those interpretations is worth seeing. And, and, and just to see, uh, just the idea of Alex Simmons as Judas Iscariot, you know there's going to be heart and soul in there and all that stuff. Uh, I, I, will, I will also jump in and say, since Chris said what he said, that um, like any really grand story, there are different takes on the subject or different ways of portraying the story or the characters to reveal, you know, lost truths, but sometimes just to explore it from a different lens or through a different lens. And, and, you know, the burden of knowing that, and again, the take you were talking about, a celestial being dictating or requesting uh, or setting before you the task of, of really understanding that you're going to be known throughout all time as the betrayer of a savior, mm-hmm. you know, and what does it take to do that? I mean, mm-hmm. is it just that the, the, the on high ask, or is it faith? And do you realize what your position is? And this is again, what writers and performers do when they're looking at stories, especially stories that have been told a thousand times before. How, yeah. what do I bring to it this time? What can I do that's going to, give it a fresh approach or a, a slightly different slant or angle that's going to make it engaging and compelling. You know, and, and so that's and, a good challenge. And the, the, the requirement there, if you're truly serving the story, is to whatever take you have on it, it has to be on the page. You have to have seen where that take would come from, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a recent conversation about potential for a Superman film with Michael B. Jordan Mm -hmm. as Superman. And, you know, there's, of course, the knee-jerk. You can't have a a black Superman. And then there's the other take of, well, this is an alien come to Earth. Who says? Who says? Why not? Who says he's a white guy? You know, it's like Jesus, all blood, hair, blue eye. Yeah, in in that in in that region of the world, really. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Right. So, you know, when when people started having conversations about, well, what would it mean if Michael Jordan or Michael B. Jordan was uh, 
Superman. Mm-hmm. How does that change story change? How what elements stay the same? And now you're off to the race, just telling a fascinating story. Right. You know, our friend Jamal Eigel did a, a series with some people called Black, where the conceit was the only people to get superpowers are black people. Mm. And how would that change the world dynamic? It was a fascinating mm. story. Fascinating story. You know, um, you, you see, again, we're, we're on dangerous territory, Maureen, because we're going to mention Marvel Cinematic Universe and, you know, the, the just recently completed uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier where six hours of great storytelling are about who can be the hero, who can be Captain America and what does that mean? Exactly. Explored, explored dramatically extremely well. Yeah. But I still want to see Alex's Judas. I'm going to correct one thing. I think I said Godspell, but it was Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, you did yeah. say Godspell. I yes. thought I, I, said, Jesus, no, I must have heard you, know you wrong. Jesus Christ Superstar is the one that I was thinking because yeah. Judas is developed really well in that in that book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was Jesus Christ Superstar. JC to, and to his friends. So you were you were singing Judas's part. Yeah. Yes. Great part, great part. Fantastic. Um, so, so Maureen, you, you knew him since he was Judas. And uh, I'm having so much fun. And um, over, the year, <laughs> over the years, you've seen, as I have seen, the, um, the creative wellspring that is Alex Simmons and all the different creations and all that stuff. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. What is your favorite Alex Simmons creation of all the various things, both on the page and in the world? What are your fa- what's your favorite Alex Simmons creation? I think I'm going to have to say Blackjack. I'm a huge okay. Blackjack fan. I just love his heroics. I love um, the character himself, his family. I love the stories about his sister, uh, Mary Day, and I just think he's really a fantastic character. And and I know I some of them too. And and there's just so much there that you guys have brought to him. All these different adventures. Mm-hmm. I think he's due for some more new adventures, but that, you know, leave that to Alex to, to make the decision. Um, I'm going to follow that with uh, another Alex Simmons question, but, you know, just because I eventually want to call him Judas again. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> just so much fun. Um, so, morning, um, Blackjack, amazing character and all that sort of stuff, but from the same creator... From the very same creator comes Kids Comic Con. Yes. How do you... How do you view... I mean, think of what you've witnessed. You you introduced to him as Judas. Leave that as it is. Judas is your first impression. You uh, enjoy the Blackjack uh, um, adventures and get to see this creation of an experience of a convention geared at making sure there's a safe place for right. children. By right. the way, that is how I met Alex Simmons, not as Judas all these years. I did not know. But I, I met him at, um, creative, Ross, creative arts, arts for, youth, for youth, 
which was a West Bronx, take kids off the, you know, cracking battle corners and teach them theater. Right. Uh, you know, so again, I saw that aspect of them like you did, the theatrical aspect. Then I learned about Blackjack. And then I watched him uh, uh, create the Kids Comic Con, which just happened this week. Yes. Or was it the 13th or 14th time? 15th. 15th time, like I said, you know, math, one of my core skills, math is. Um, so how do, you, how do you see Alex Simmons, the Blackjack creator, and Alex Simmons, the KCC creator and and how have you got gotten pulled into the vortex that is kcc well let me let me go back in the alex simmons time machine again my son alex simmons time machine <laughs> 14 years i think 12 or 14 somewhere in there and he loved to draw art and he loved to especially anime characters he was he's quite an accomplished artist and uh, I had been talking to Alex, and he said, well, we're having a KCC at Bronx Community College. Why don't you bring him down, and some real comic book artists will look at his portfolio and give him advice. Now, that's a golden opportunity. I mean, you know, because, of course, his mother, me, always said, oh, yes, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. He, he, he thought I was a little bit prejudiced. He really did. <laughs> So he wanted a second opinion. So we got some a portfolio together, and we went down, and it was wonderful. I mean, this I, I, the artist was looking. He goes, yes, you've got talent, yes, but you might want to try a little more of this. In other words, branch out of the anime a little bit, try some realistic things, try this. And it was, it was wonderful to encourage him on his way in the career. And as I was going to these Comic-Cons, it was always his friends. Now, there's this wonderful thing about Alex. I was just talking to this about one of the artists the other day. He can get you to do almost anything. <laughs> because he'll, Ooh, I'm sitting here today. And <laughs> say, oh, you know, we need you to help teach these kids in the Bronx next Tuesday. Can you do it? And, and you sort of find yourself getting pulled into the vortex, you know, whether you, before you can even realize you've, you've said we haven't agreed to it, you're already in the vortex. And this artist said, it's a positive, it's a, 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 a bright, shiny vortex. Absolutely, because this artist said to me, I always feel a little hesitant at first and unsure, but after I've done it, I feel so good in working with the kids. And I know that Alex, his heart is in the right place because he's always doing it for the kids. He's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it to make money. He's doing it for the kids. And that's really what it's all about. And that's the beauty of it. Well, well, you know, Maureen, if, if, if he was doing it for the money, it would make him a Judas. Wait. Oh, no. <laughs> Very good, Chris. Very good. Let me never forgive uh, you for telling that story, Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. Um, so let's explain in case people at this late date, you know, a hundred and what is it? 189 episodes in, yep. they don't have a clear idea of what, uh, KCC is. KCC is, uh, a, a, an event created and, uh, sprung from the mind and soul of Alex Simmons and a few other people. Kids Comic Con. Uh, Alex, especially with all his comics work has been in the, uh, mainstream Comic Con uh, universe and uh, um, kind of the Comic Con tours for years, and mm-hmm. there was there is still an element of um, 
titillation, shall we say, yes. and then yeah. maybe uber violence that um, didn't sit well with him when he saw kids being exposed to that. So he said, yeah. I'm going to... I'm going to create an alternative and with uh, some friends and, you know, colleagues at uh, Bronx Community College, Baba, KCC, which is, it's a, you know, it's a con, self-contained con in there um, where any, anyone from a, a parent, a kid to a parent, to a teacher, to a librarian can come in and be absolutely positively guaranteed to find stuff that, it would be safe to expose the children to. Absolutely. And um, that's not enough, right? There's the, um, well, let's teach them how to make their own comics and let's, yeah. you know, have panels where the kids can ask comic creators questions and, you know, and all that. And you and I uh, have found ourselves doing the, bit, the bidding of Judas, um, whether it's teaching a class or conducting interviews or bringing groups to the next class or help, you know, and, um, reading what stories. Is your, to them. Yeah. Reading stories. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it was an appearance by the goddess one year. Yeah. I think it was last year during the pandemic where she read, I think she read my well, story. There was, there was a return. <laughs> we, 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 we booted that piece up again uh, yesterday for, uh, the KCC Saturday morning, uh, special returns. We we she will be back up there. she will be delighted to know that she's been there two years in a row. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and she can be from now on forever. Yeah. So, Maureen, uh, what do you see as your you know your role in KCC? Because uh, I tell you, I got a phone call. I'm gonna I'm gonna just you know. Uh, I don't know, uh, worship at the altar of morning bread for a second. Um, I got a call not too long ago from Maureen, um, who was booking me to do uh, interviews for Kids Comic Con and a grant that uh, was for Kids Comic Con, while the legend himself was laid up in a hospital bed. Oh, and I was like, look at this, it's fantastic. He just, you can't stop him, you know? <laughs> whether he's trying to outrun his Judas past or whether it's just the creative juices that keep him going, he had roped you in as, a, you know, one of these shadows agents, you know, to, uh, to keep it going. What, what's the backstory on that, Maureen? How did you become like a, a, a KCC executive? Margot Lane, yeah. Yes. Did you know that he even tried to recruit his radiology tech when he was getting his play? <laughs> <laughs> radiology tech expressed an interest in comics and taught an after school show. He's like, well, come on down to KCC. I was like, really? Are you getting an x ray? You never, you stop. He does not stop. He's just a machine. Um, I think my role is sort of, Alex is the big dreamer. He's the big idea guy. He envisions what could be. And then I'm thinking going, how are we going to make that happen? You know, how, how, what, how can we build this? Who has to be there? What time, you know, and pulling the pieces together to make it the thing it is, to, to build the dream of Alex Simmons. That's cool. That's, yeah. I, I usually am the guy, uh, I just like a, um, oh, I'm lost, losing the word, like a grunt. 
Yes. You know, I'm told no, you're, you're going to do this. You're going to do no, well, you're it's, not. It's, I've, I've gotten it. It's it now in italics and a very nice font and a capital G. But <laughs> it's, it's really like. Okay, you're going to keep calling uh, me Judas. I am going to start calling you Grunt. <laughs> am I moving? <laughs> uh, am I moving boxes? Am I interviewing? What you know, and and whatever is needed. Exactly. Uh, uh, that's. I just wait for marching orders. You know. Um, but you look like you were. I mean, it was really kind of an executive moment there. I was pretty impressed. I think that my first role at Kids Comic Con was the coffee lady, because Alex's friends would come with their children. And they'd have to hang out at the table all day. And, you know, the cafeteria was across campus and really inaccessible. And all they had was this lousy vending machine. And, of course, I turned to him and said, you're asking your friends to do this for you for free. The least you could do is give them a cup of coffee in the morning and give the kids a juice box, for God's sake. So I would go do yeah, I was such a, a, such a mean person. <laughs> yeah, some would say a Judas. But go like, ahead. Uh, butter and jelly sandwich, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> so I started bring, doing this, you know, reception of food and refreshment for the artists and their families. And then it was always like, oh, we need this over here, we need that. And I was always the one running to do and bring somebody to the workshop. And you know, this artist needs an easel and whatever it was, you just get pulled in. And now and that's that's a fascinating part of KCC is that it it is in part i mean it's it long uh, uh gestated and developed and and all that stuff but the moment you know whether it's you know pre-pandemic live in at bronx community college in a couple of different rooms and stuff or now you know with the pandemic uh online there's always that moment of existence when kcc is going on where it's uh building the plane as it's flying yeah oh yeah no matter how many plans there's always a little well there goes that engine climb out on that wing will you chris <laughs> Marine, here's a screw climb out on the wing there, yeah. <laughs> favorite stories was i was running around the last time we had a live one and i had drafted my son because i learned that vortex technique also zachary alex needs our help for the kcc will you come down with us because he was working at a 3d printing place and he created that kids comic-con award and I'm, I'm going to do something else. And I look, and there's my son leading a tour of people to a workshop. <laughs> and, and, and he's talking to them. And I, I never saw that side of my son before. He was like a leader. And he was like, okay, and here, and this comics, and we're going to come over here. I was like, what the hell happened to him? <laughs> so uh, this weekend, Kids Comic Con happened again. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what that experience was like, and can people still check it out and all that sort of stuff? Can I can I just ask you to also mention what happened Friday? I was about to. I'm, I'm now taking a back seat here. Really started on Friday when uh, I had a workshop, which I think the last one was athletes and social justice, where the kids in the schools were learning to draw a little comic about a certain athlete who had a active activism and social justice. So I went directly from that to the famous AFRICON, which is artists and comic book writers and artists from Africa, Senegal, Nairobi, um, I'm missing one, Lagos, Nigeria, and, and, and the Congo. And they got on the, on the Zoom meeting and were talking about their experience and their, you know, creating comics in Africa and what that was like. 
And one of the artists, Sissy de Samba, spoke mostly, his, his primary language was French. So we had the wonderful uh, Electra Weston translating. And I was looking at the chat, and one of the kids were like, I don't know what he's saying. How come I can't understand it? Is this some secret? I said, no, it's French, and the lady is translating what he's saying because they had never heard a translation before. Yep. So, so you, you don't know what the learning, what, what the uh, education is at the moment, but it happens, uh, all sorts of education happens at KCC. Right. Very cool. Well, as a matter of fact, in the social justice, one kid had chose, we were talking about Muhammad Ali and how he didn't want to join the army because he had become a Muslim and it was against the Quran. And one kid goes, what's Muslim? Yeah. So I didn't realize he didn't know. Elector Weston went into a wonderful explanation about different religions and how people, you know, worship differently. And it was a wonderful discussion that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been working on this workshop. Again, one of the magic one of the magic elements of KCC is that it, it expands out to to serve what the kids need at the moment, and and whether that's intellectually or um, or artistically or confidence. I think one of the big secrets about KCC is it it gives uh, uh, kids permission to be who they are and to dream and pursue that dream. Uh, that's the real magic of KCC. And if that means they need to learn what various religions are or what a translation is, that helps them on the journey. Um, are, are the elements of this year's KCC still available? We are working on editing the recording, and it should be up in the next couple of days. We had the live event, and we had a, a good audience out there. And it was very exciting. We had Leslie Carrera-Rudolph, who's a... That's Saturday now. That's that's two separate... Because you were talking about AFRICON on Friday. And then Saturday, we had the other event. So, so, yeah, AFRICON was on Friday. And then Saturday, we had the Saturday morning special live event with Leslie Carrera-Rudolph and puppeteering. And Juan Espinosa, who you know, you guys have interviewed him before. And the new star of the show is his daughter, Grace. Uh. He came on with a sock puppet named Greenie. And she was working with Leslie Kerr-Rudolph with Lolly Lardpop, and the, the two puppeteers were having a great time. It was wonderful. It was magical. Well, we look forward to that, and, of course, we'll promote it here, but it'll be on most of the uh, uh, Teledam story and uh, Alex Simmons' uh, um, social media, and, of course, you'll promote it, I'll promote it, everyone. So right. if you haven't seen it yet, come see it. There is one more area that, uh, of the Maureen Brett uh, legacy that we need to talk about, and that is that uh, you've done some writing of your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always mm-hmm. says proud papa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Judas, now proud papa. <laughs> I I actually remembered I loved writing. I took a creative writing class in like elementary school. I think it was seventh grade, and I really enjoyed it. And um, I was just starting to get back to it because I have retired from corporate life. And I'm, I took Alex's Go Right For It course, uh, which was wonderful, a boot camp, as a matter of fact. It was like four days of intensive workshop and studying and, and creating a story. And I really found that I enjoyed it and have an affinity for it. And I just and, – and, you know, Chris, I have to tell you this to you. The part I struggled with the most is what you guys say all the time on this podcast – let it suck. 
I really believe in that. And I, you know, I don't want to be called a Judas by other writers, but um, <laughs> but I really believe that gets you over that very very steep uh, first obstacle about oh my god, let it suck. Okay, yeah. then I just you know because having something horrible is easier to rewrite than having blank space nothing yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's i really do believe it and and it's they said well then what am i gonna do just make it suck less and then you make it suck. i believe in the power of rewriting i really yes. do yes yeah. yeah that's cool so, so but, what but have I'm you just written? curious what kind of i mean i know what kind of story it is but i have to ask it this way what 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 genre what kind of story uh, uh have you found yourself writing now or starting to work on now the one I'm working on is still an assignment from the class, which is a murder mystery of you know, who done it, why they do it, how they do it, all that kind of good stuff, because it's a lot of fun to, to try to figure that out. I mean, I've been a fan of mystery stories and murder mysteries um, and even shows. Um, I just started watching Mare from Eastman with Kate Winslet. Um, that's fantastic. So it's funny because now... Being a fan of this, you look at the crowd shots, and I'm looking at every face going, "Is that the murderer? Is that the murderer?" <laughs> it's it's beautiful how everything kind of um, feeds into everything else. You know, you you get the the writing bug, and then you're watching something, and you're learning the writing from there, and and on mm-hmm. goes, and, and you start looking for like you say, yeah. Um, I've for a long time been looking for a good set of uh, uh, an, the other kind of storytelling. You know, with with most story, most fiction, it's either someone goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. And I, we make, we, we kind of goof around with these commercials because, you know, we are eventually going to want to mo- monetize. But the Mystery Writers of America just literally this month put out a, an anthology called When a Stranger Comes to Town. And it's such a rich... A uh, collection of that style of storytelling that uh, you really have fun with it, but you can offer it to um, as an example. Here's a you know we can name a million stories about you know a hero's journey, right? Uh, um, but a stranger comes to town. Sometimes it's harder to pick unless you're watching a Clint Eastwood movie, right? Um, <laughs> but it's great to have this modern you know stuff to jump in. So it leads me to this question the mystery not to give too much away but the mystery that you're working on now is your character going on a journey of discovery or dealing with a stranger that comes to town my hero is the stranger who came to town nice <laughs> yes <laughs> I, lo- I love when a plan comes together you know when we tie the team <laughs> Dwight Schultz, yes. So what do we think we're going to do with this story? Uh, What's the plan? Uh, Does it need a draft or two more? What are you thinking? Draft or 220, I think. (laughs) It needs a lot. It needs a lot of work. Well, you know, uh, if you... if you want to send it out of places, we have a great uh, list of ideas we can give you. But, um, you know, if we could also, you know, maybe even do a little teaser of it and, and put it up on Tell the Damn Story, but it would be a lot of fun. And uh, So ride that's the great. trail with us, I think is what he's saying. Yeah, that's yeah. Ride the trail with us, yes. You know, <laughs> Maureen, I need all the help I can get with uh, <clears throat> Judas over there, you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, grunt. Because in this story, and and on this show, Judas has a time machine. Think of that combination. Oh my God. No pun intended. Yes. Alex, um, uh, there are questions we may not have asked Maureen. I have one last one. Uh, but is there anything else we should ask? No, no, I think we've, we've, we've tormented the poor soul enough. Right. So, Maureen, yeah. what's, what's your last question? Maureen, what, what would you like to ask uh, Alex slash Judas or I um, that you never got a chance to ask? I want to ask you, Chris Ryan, how your experience as a high school teacher has played into your work because I have read Genius High and you are spot on with what it's like to be a teenager. And, and I, really, I mean, you were in that world. So, I mean, do they know that they are, you know, unwilling subjects in your universe of fiction? When you're uh, much like, much like your, uh, your children, never see you as anything but that guy around the house or the woman around the house, you know, who might be able to, you know, cook a little bit or something um, or drop them off somewhere. You know, we're either, you know, <laughs> chauffeurs yeah. or chefs, right? Or or as as Alex was saying before, we're grunts. Um, the same thing with kids. Uh, uh, there's the students. Um, there is no life for teachers beyond the classroom because, you know, like I tell my kids, I'm 151 years old, um, or sometimes 1500, depending on how I feel that day. Um, but they don't believe, you know, they want to know if, uh, if it became a movie or if it's on Netflix, you know, a book, a book, what the hell? And there's a, there's a few throughout my experience of now 30 years of teaching where someone latched on or someone read a story or this or that. And, um, and that's rare, but mostly no, they, they are heavily, extremely important, um, to me as, as these students, you know, and, and my ability, my, the blessing of being able to be in their presence, of course, yes. But as a writer, um, they inspired Mallory and Gunner stories because, I was teaching Dante and they loved the ideas, but they, you know, there was nothing there for Dante in Dante's writing that felt like them. So that's also one of the reasons why I'm rewriting um, the first uh, Mallory and Gunner book, because a whole generation has passed since the first one, you know, I mean, they, they don't, they don't think the same way and to try and, and, and to see, you know, two white guys, going through uh, 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 trials and tribulations. Really? That's, you know, those two privileged people, that's, that's what yeah. we're going to stay. Yeah. You know, so I wanted to, I needed to create more empathy so that they would give it a chance. And Genius High was entirely inspired by them. And once the pandemic passes, you'll see that there's going to come, you know, high stakes t- uh, testing will come back. And I wanted to take that on as um, an evil. So we created like a shadowy uh, group doing that. But then populating it, those students in there are all 
inspired by kids in the hallway or kids in my class. The the uh, transgender kid Stevie. Uh, I never met a Stevie, but I met one person who was completely at ease and, and she could walk down the hall with thigh high boots, uh, high heels with no back heel. And that was her statement, you know, and she wound up being in rent and she was fantastic. And just, she had made the transition, but the one who inspired Stevie was a kid who was just, just starting. Yeah. Couldn't get uh, herself or themselves to wear a dress, but would wear a long flannel, mm-hmm. tights, and this and that. And literally, I mean, body pressed against the wall as she was walking down the hall. Yeah. And I just wanted to create someone who had gone to the end of that journey that was beginning and had come out okay. Yeah. And, uh, Stevie was meant to be in one scene, but once she was created, she would stop by and solve other problems for me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not only did she help, you know, hopefully help someone who was going through that journey, but she was really extremely helpful to the book and, uh, and a surprise. I didn't know all those things were going to happen with her to her. I didn't, under- I didn't know, um, uh, who her loyalties were to and how interesting she and the others would be. But yeah, I still stand by that book is uh, just as much fun of a read today as it was, you know, it's been out a couple of years, but you know, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So that's where the answer, that's where the in- inspiration comes from is you can't be in that environment and not be electrified by their presence. I got to say, Thing. I got a shout out to these teachers, especially in middle school, who are trying to teach remotely during the pandemic. Oh, I yeah. Zoom call the and there's one little angel who was changing their virtual background like every two minutes. <laughs> and, then, and like when it was outer space, he would be floating like he was lost in space. <laughs> then he had one with a flower pot in the back, and you'd take his little fingers like trying to pick up the flower pot. I said, There's your future cinematographer right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, uh, uh, I would, uh, agree and also shout out the teachers there, especially, um, high school teachers, because for some reason, many, many high school students have decided that it is the absolute death of their life. If they put on a microphone or a screen, you know, we were teaching, we, a lot of us, a lot of us have been teaching to a wall, like a mausoleum. It's just black squares with a name on, you know, student's Mm -hmm. name. And thank God I was a terrible comedian for a while and did all those, you know, empty shows where there were just two people in the audience or whatever, (laughs) you know. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't have any experience on how to keep talking, you know? Yes. So, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's been, a, and there's so many other concerns right now that you know, the, the challenges the teachers are going through doesn't get enough praise. So I'm with you 100% on that. Mm-hmm. No. Even so ultimately, we're, we're in agreement that, that I was Judas and will never live that down. I've served the benefit to kids, through, you know, for at least 15 years. Before, that was that was after I was a Judas. 
Uh, well, you were working grunt. your soul back. You I were have doing a that. grunt. <laughs> I have a grunt as a, as a sidekick, partner, writing friend, compadre, and I'm the godson, godfather to his kid. Dude, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> that I have um, a dear friend in Maureen, and we have a fan in Maureen, and KCC has an angel in Maureen, and yes. that uh, many of the things that the three of us have done throughout our lives to help others and in particular help kids has been well worth all the effort, the pain, the drudgery, the craziness. And I don't think any of us would take any of it back and we'll probably continue to do it as long as we can. And that's how we tell our damn story. That's true. That's true. And we hope that this episode has been inspiring to others who have had a creative uh, uh, life that they don't give themselves enough credit for. There's so many different ways to be creative, to touch another's life, to uh, make the world richer. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, this world needs all the riches we can give it. So thank you, Maureen Britt, for everything that you have done and for the absolute gold revelation that my... My brother here played, played that role. Cause... I'll get you for this, Maureen. I'll get you. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure to talk to both of you. I really had a good time. Take care, Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Maureen. We'll see you soon. Judas, we'll see you soon. Adios, Captain. Adios. Peace.